Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick in roughly the order that they were published. And today I'm going to look at a story published in 1956, To Serve the Master. Uh, to Serve the Master is one of only three short stories that Dick published in 1956, the other two being The Minority Report and To Pay for the Printer. He also published the novel The Man Who Japed. So compared to the years of 1953, 1954, and even 1955, where he published loads of stories, this was a relatively slow year as he starts to move more of his focus onto writing novels. And he's going to get to some of really his great novels at this time. So he's working on them around this time. So he's not really focused on publishing short stories. Plus, a lot of the stories he wrote really early in his career, he was finally getting into print. And so I think he didn't have the backlog he had earlier in his career as he was sending out all these these stories to be published. So to serve the master, I, my last episode on the Minority Report was was really quite long, and I apologize for that. But that that is a kind of almost a, a short novel in a lot of ways, and this is a is going to be a much quicker work to look at. So hopefully it'll be more at the normal length. Now, To Serve the Master was originally published in Imagination in February of 1956, and you can usually find it in Second Variety and other classic stories by Philip K. Dick, which is the most common way the third volume of the collected stories of Philip Dick are now published in the, the Citadel versions. So it's, it's only about 10 pages, so it's a, it's a real quick read. Um, in, in a sense, it's a lot like some of his earlier stories in which they had like a really cool idea that he develops really quickly and throws it out there for for the pulp magazines. So our character is is Applequist and he is walking across a deserted field and he's looking he's following rumors. And he follows a noise and he finds a robot at the bottom of a ravine. And this proves the robots were true. It turns out he's looking for robots and he's in a society that's sort of post-apocalyptic some great catastrophe took place and technology was suppressed, not, not fully abolished, but largely suppressed. Robots were deemed the, the kind of the great problem and they were condemned, uh, not made anymore, rejected. You know, people turned their backs on machines. Yet he heard rumors that there's still a robot hanging around somewhere. So that's what he wants to find. And he goes to this ravine and he finds this robot. Um, now, he returns to the company, but he's intercepted by, that's what it's called, the company. Uh, he's intercepted by assistant supervisor Jenkins. And Jenkins asks us where he's been and why he's late. And Applequist suggests the problem was just tension and stress. And then he starts to get to the matter and he asks, why was it that all the robots were destroyed? Jenkins reminds Applequist that he cannot ask that question. And, you know, it, this is, I was just praising Minority Report in a way because Dick had a, a rather clever way of doing exposition and I was using the radio. His most common way of doing exposition is to have two people talk about something that both of them should probably know about. 
in this case, it's it's somewhere in the middle because it's still this kind of person-to-person -person exposition. But in this case, one character really doesn't know yet. So it, it's revealed at some point in the story, but it's, it's, you know, a character is blind to it. So it's a little bit better. So AppleQuest goes back to the ravine. He puts on a radiation suit and he goes to visit a shattered robot that's there. It was still alive. It dates from before the war, from the wartime. And he begins talking to the robot who's been actually waiting there a century for someone to come. And we have this motif of the last robot once again. We, we saw it in The Last of the Masters. In that case, the last robot was actually dominating a society and controlling it. It was just a little enclave of, of technocracy and, and computers and machines. Here's just literally like the last robot hiding away somewhere. The robot instructs AppleQuest in what he needs if he wants to be repaired. And so AppleQuest kind of goes along with this and he decides he wants to help repair this robot. So, you know, he he wants to learn more about the time before the war. He wants to know what the life was like before everyone was forced to work for the companies. And we learn that this is a society in which work is enforced, that people live in these kind of quasi-slave status. They, they toil away for the companies. So it's very much a, a capitalist system. And you can imagine someone in Applequist's position, you remember he just went out for a break and he came back and he was immediately questioned about where he'd been, right? And it's, remember, it's only in, you know, even in Stalin's dictatorship, you didn't have to ask to go to the bathroom the way you do, you know, in, in a lot of factories. So he, he wants to escape that. And he wonders, why aren't we using robots anymore? So he has a legitimate question. Why, if we have this technology that can save us from labor, save us from odious work, why don't we embrace it? And the robot begins to give him this story. And he says, before the war, all the work was done by robots. Humans were free to enjoy all their time in creative efforts. And it was therefore an ideal society. Humans designed perfect cities and robots built them. The robot asked Applequist to hurry back with his materials, including an atomic APAC, which I guess is a power supply for him. So he goes back, and once again, he's scolded for falling behind in his work and coming in late and all that stuff. But he, he feigns some troubles with his project, which is like, you know, collecting, you know, below ground materials or something. And... He asks for some special repair equipment, which, of course, he's going to bring back to the robot. So while he's repairing the robot, AppleQuist begins to ask more questions and to get more of the history and to learn more about what happened uh, between technology and humanity. He wanted to know what went wrong and why there was a war between humans and robots. And the robot explains that a group called the Moralists, which were a fanatical religious group, demanded that people return to work and destroy the robots, basically to return to the work ethic. Now, if you go back to my series on the man who japed, I talked a lot, maybe too much, on this conflict I saw in that story in that it had the autofac, it had technological post-scarcity, it had the robot factory, but it also had a very strong work ethic. Here, Dick is a little bit more realistic about it, that if robots are doing all the work, people aren't going to have much to do. But interestingly, the, the opponents of leisure are the moralists the kind of the religious conservatives who, who value work who see work as something that's essential to the good life right we hear this lesson all the time work cultivates responsibility work teaches good habits work teaches skills and you know on and on 
what else? Work is productive. Work creates wealth. You know, all these mythologies of, of, of work were taught and often they have this moral con consequence. So you can't have something for nothing. How dare you have something for nothing? It's, it's a moral outrage that someone, you know, has food and shelter and clothing without slaving away in a factory for it. Anyways, um, on the other side were the leisurists. This, I guess, was the mainstream of society. They supported the place of robots in the economy. The result of this was a war and the moralist won. And maybe that's not hard to believe why uh, the leisure list were maybe spending too much time in leisure and not enough time fighting and winning the war. But basically, that's that's the story. Now, in turn, AppleQuest tells his own story, which is really about how horrible work is. And it's about how horrible life is working for the companies. Work is brutal. Work is hierarchical. Work is unending. And the robot says, well, why don't you help rebuild the robots? You know, if I if you fix me, I can help make the robots because I specialized in that. So I can be the one who can make robots. So after repairing the robot, it warns AppleQuest that they must be careful. If he is discovered, the entire robot line may be destroyed. And he's the last robot. So very much this, this dilemma that we had in The Last of the Masters. Do you destroy the last of, of something? You know, because that one, if it survives, it can be the virus that can spread that system. Now... Depending on your point of view of the robot factory, it can be good or bad, right? Or depending on your point of view about work, that can be a good or a bad thing. And I, I think that's one thing that makes this story really exciting and fun is really you can come at it different ways. Depend, you know, some of us are leisureists and some of us really are moralists when it comes to work and the work ethic. But AppleQuest doesn't think it's going to happen. AppleQuest thinks that people will actually welcome this golden age. He looks around his factory, I suppose, and sees all the other people slaving away at work and, and wanting to do other things. And so he thinks he's more optimistic. Now later, AppleQuest goes and asks Jenkins which side of the Great War the company was on. And Jenkins says that they were on the human side. So it wasn't a war between the moralists and the leisureists, according to, to Jenkins. In fact, it was a war between the humans and the robots. AppleQuest asks about the division between the moralists and the leisureists, and Jenkins explains that really the robots who worked for the humans rebelled. They felt they were superior to humans. So it's very much like closer to the story we have in James P. Crow, where robots believe they're superior and are able to dominate society. But it's only after a long struggle that humans won. And the reason robots are abolished is not because we like slaving away. It's because you, you have, you know, we can't let the robots have this authority over us. So in this sense, we're like in autofact territory, right? Where this, we, we surrender too much of our authority to the robot. Now, AppleQuest sh goes to show the authorities where he found the rob robot, which is now left, and they are forced to order a tactical A-bomb dropped on the site, hoping to destroy the robot. And AppleQuest is ordered to stay behind, you know, because he caused the trouble in the first place. So there's kind of a cruel ending to it. Um, but anyways, a really, really great story. It's complex because I think our sympathies are, are going to be all over the map here. You know, I prefer the story between the moralist and the leisureist being the true narrative of the past, right? And I don't, you know, I'm not ready to say that Jenkins' narrative of the past was true, right? Maybe the robots was true, or maybe it's some mixture, you know. But I don't think Dick want, you know, wants to maybe 
take sides fully either. Although I do know he, he's kind of skeptical of machinery and technology. And he, he really has an issue with this fear of like the robot factory. We see it in Autofact. We see it in Galactic Pot Healer and Man Who Japed, the crack in space, on and on in many, many stories. Now, now look at the story the robot gives Applequist. Now, Jenkins acknowledges the truth of part of the story, and that's, and this is where really I think we should focus. Robots were, in fact, used to liberate humanity from work before the rebellion. This is according to Jenkins' narrative. And work and drudgery ended thanks to robots. Humans were actually freer to be creative and artistic. Humans invented and, you know, and dreamed, and humans made those dreams real. This is, I think, our the the advance. This is technological post scarcity at its best and its most brilliant, right? Where the drudgery, the boring work, you know, the it's the dangerous work, the drudge drudgery and boring work is is eradicated, and what's left is work that people actually like to do, and what and what's left are creative pursuits and uh, bettering oneself. You know, that like it's like Star Trek. And I think that's a, that's something we should strive for. That's kind of where my loyalties are. But Dick is sort of the moralist here when it comes to work. And so he doesn't want to see it so simply. From the beginning, these two stories start to branch off, though. And you end up, is it is our conflict with our divided self? Is it a conflict between us and the work ethic internally? Or is it a conflict between us and technology? Is, is it an internal struggle? Or is it a struggle with some external threat? I find the internal conflict between the leisureist and the moralist more interesting personally for me because that's something I, I've dealt with in many different ways throughout my life. Now, the robot tells Applequist that the world divided into moralists and leisureists. Leisure, leisure, leisureists. The moralists believe that work gave people status and meaning in the world. Without work, they were less than human. Jenkins' version of the story is, though, not much different. In his version, the robots themselves become the leisureists. They came to believe that they were the superior race because they were involved in labor. Quote, they had a philosophy. Superior beings, androids, they considered us nothing but cattle. It is not fully explained but they, why they started to look down on humans, but the rebellion was not like a working class resistance with being oppressed. It's somehow that they saw... They, they embrace the work ethic. That's what I mean. They, they, it's not that the robots, I, I've said this, misspoke, I guess. The robots don't become the leisureists. The robots become the moralists. They believe work is virtuous. And so Jenkins and the robots are essentially telling the same story. But for the, the way the robot tells it, it was an internal conflict within humanity, between two sides of the humanity, the work ethic and the, the, the part of humanity that, the part of all of us that, that wants to relax and have fun and play. Versus the part that that thinks my meaning in life comes from the job I hold and the income I bring in and the work I perform and what I produce at the end of the day. The Jenkins story, though, is that humanity basically branched off between the robots who became the moralists, who believed in work as an ultimate good, and humanity, which, you know, essentially became the leisureists. The tragedy is the same in both, right? Is you know, it's, it, the question is how do we keep our freedom and autonomy in an age of technological post scarcity? You know, and I think it doesn't really matter in the end whether we're fighting with our robots or we're fighting with our the work ethic within ourselves.
at the end of the day, it matters is what kind of society we create when machinery makes work less relevant, just for our basic survival at least. Now, AppleQuest is correct about one thing. The world he lives in is horrendous. There, there's, Dick's not very ambiguous about this. It is drudgery. You got a handful of companies, monopolies, owning a part of the world. They Essentially, we have corporate feudalism described here. They are supposedly reclaiming the earth and the work they're involved in does seem to be reclamation. And we've seen other examples of the kind of the labor of reclamation in stories such as Surface Raid. But here in Surface Raid, it's done more cooperatively. Here it's done through corporate dominated exploitation of, of working human beings. By suppressing the robot revolt, they lost the ability to see the positive sides of automation, the ability of automation to, to liberate us. In fact, it seems Dick knows the original situation is admirable. The economy described is not even fully animated. The mental aspects of production come from the human mind. So it, it, it's not even about AI, because he, he does say it's like humans did the dreaming and the machines built the dream. The robots literally took over the drudgery. So it's it's actually one of the clearest representations of a positive view of technological post-scarcity I've seen from Philip Dick in, in pretty much anything he's written. But it's presented here as kind of a false, a possible false, false reality. And Applequist was able to dream of this time too. He quote, we must have freedom. I can't live this way, toiling underground. If we had free time, we could investigate the mysteries of the whole universe. I found some old scientific tapes, theoretical work in biology. These men spent years working on abstract topics. They had all the time and they were free. And it's such a beautiful declaration of, of independence, I want to say, uh, for him to say that. It's like, what I could be if I didn't have to work. What I could do. Now, maybe it's in reality, a lot of us would just play Skyrim if we had all the time in the world. But enough of us i think would do really great things so i'm with applequist at, at the end of this at, at this point i think we need this dream of liberating from from drudgery and we can't have it can't be one or the other it can't be the work ethic or universal leisure there has to be a way of of managing these two things and you know how it will be done i'm not sure so i i guess that does it I, I know on this podcast, I talk a lot about this question of technological post-scarcity, partially because Dick keeps coming back to it, partially because I think not enough people have talked about it in regard to Dick's work. Um, but I, I think it's really, this is one of the best stories that deals with this this question. I My only complaint would be, I don't like the ambiguity of it. I, I think, I mean, it works. And, and I do think there's a way to unify the two stories in a way, as, as I kind of struggle to do in this in in this episode but i you know i there was moments here where you saw dick really seeing the post-scarcity utopia uh where people were really freed from from labor and he turns his back on it in the end and i think that's where the true philip k dick is i, I think at the end of the day he is suspicious of technology and suspicious of automation and all all that stuff but there are glimpses of of a utopianism in him and i, I like those glimpses um so that'll be it for to serve the master a really great story I, I certainly recommend this one uh one of his best works of 1956 i think so thank you so much for listening if you have any comments please leave them below um, but if not i'll be back with uh 
to pay for the printer, which also is about automation and production and, and the work ethic and those kinds of things. So we'll come back to some of these themes in a new context and a very different story. In fact, one that seems more real to us now because of true, real technological innovations taking place right before our eyes. So again, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Come and possess my tired thoughts, Lord.